Well, over the last few weeks, I've been asking myself some really serious questions about my first love for Jesus's exaltation and my passion for his calling on my life due to a few different factors. One causing me to actually think of a title for this sermon. And I was passing around a book. Some of you college guys have read it. I've handed it to you. And uh, I want you to read it. I want you to know. I want you to be driven by it. But it's convicting. And it's a book called Reckless Abandon. It's about a missionary and about his life and his testimony. And that's a great book for me to hand out, but it's a harder book to live out. But I wanted to share that with you guys. But as I was thinking about me sharing it with you, I began to think about, am I actually living in light of that book and what his testimony is? And then on top of that, over the past few weeks, we've had sermons from missionaries, men who are actually there in the field, internationally serving the Lord Jesus in difficult places. And then on top of that, we had Ronnie's sermon last week which is about the only name by which we can be saved, the Lord Jesus. I can say amen to all these things, the book and the missionaries and Ronnie's sermon, and I do say amen, and I agree and confess with them the truth that we heard. But as I begin to really search my heart, I begin to question, does my amen line up with my life? I can say it with my mouth, but does my life line up with my confession? So in my heart searching this last week, the Lord led me to a passage of scripture that I want to share with you today. And I pray that it causes us all to to kind of stop today and ask if we're able to live out and make the same confession that the Apostle Paul made in Philippians chapter one, verse 21. If you would turn there with me. Now, I'll say this about this text. It's one of the most often screen-printed T-shirt text I've ever done. People love these kinds of texts. It's very popular on mugs. It's very popular on banners and all kinds of things. But when you feel the weight of this text in light of the testimony that is revealed to us throughout the New Testament of the Apostle Paul's life, there is gravity to this. This should shake you to the core. Philippians 1.21 For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you feel the weightiness, especially of the first half of that passage? If you don't feel the weightiness, all you need to do is is put your life up beside the Apostle Paul's life for just a few moments. and, And think about... Does my life testify that Jesus is preeminent in everything? Can I say, for to me, to live is Christ? Well, I wanted to say that with confidence this morning. But I've complained all week about having to work and get ready to go to VBS to serve a bunch of kids who just won't listen and run around and make a mess. We've got to clean the building up for Sunday. I don't think that I was saying, for to me to live is Christ as I serve the kids at BBS. But it should be. It should be the cry of our heart. It should be the longing of our heart to be able to say this. Especially when you keep in mind the context of this statement. This context is this. 
This is flowing from the heart of the Apostle Paul as he is in Rome in a prison. He's locked up there for preaching the gospel of Christ, knowingly doing so in light of the fact that he could be arrested and be thrown into prison. And in that confinement, he's saying, even in this, for to me to live is Christ. This is all working together for God's glorious purposes. This is something I am willing to do and eager to do for the magnification of Jesus. And so when I know that and I think about that and I read this text, I have to ask myself some serious questions this morning. And I'll ask them to you as well. The first question is this. Can can I truthfully make that confession? Can I make it with the same kind of confidence as the Apostle Paul? Am I I really willing to recklessly abandon my life as Paul did for the sake of Jesus and the lost? My other question is this. What motivated this? Because I think that's at the heart of what we all want to know. We, We want to say this, but we want to know why he said this. What made him able to say this? What motivated this kind of, if you will, confidence and selfless attitude? And how do I overcome my lack of confidence to say this and my selfish attitude in life? I think to get some of the answers, we're going to have to go back into the life of the man, Paul. Back before he was Paul when his name was Saul. And and look at his conversion experience. Because it seems to me from, from Paul's conversion onward, he could say this. We see him recklessly abandon everything in his life from his conversion forward to exalt Jesus. So let's go there. Let's go to Acts 9. Let's go to Acts 9 and look at what happened after Saul was on the road to Damascus and the Lord Jesus appears to him and blinds him and knocks him down, humbles him on that road. Let's look at what happened next. Acts 9. 9 verse 11. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Now this is, this is actually talking about Paul's conversion and God going to Ananias and saying, Look, you've got to go find this guy. I just converted him. He's coming to town. Go find him. For behold, he is praying. Verse 12. And he has seen a vision In a vision, a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, are you crazy? I mean, that's what he's thinking, all right? I mean, that's what's going on. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name, hinting that this guy can kill me. But... Not only do we see Paul express reckless abandon in this narrative, we also see Ananias do that when he goes at the commission of the Lord to go to this murderous persecutor of the church in obedience to Jesus. But the Lord said to him, go, obey me, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, notice this verse, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered 
the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Then notice this. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he expresses reckless abandon. He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not... Come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This is interesting when you look at it and you see what's really happening here. Just notice how quickly the Apostle Paul abandoned everything to obey Jesus' calling on his life. You, you know the story of Saul, right? Of Tarsus, a Pharisee. Keep this in mind. He had social Political and spiritual status above nearly everyone. He had comfort because of that. He had wealth because of that. He had power because of that. But then Jesus steps onto the scene. Christ calls him and gave him a greater vocation, Justin. A greater calling. One that nothing in this world could compare to. And Immediately at his conversion, and we all recognize this is an apostolic calling that comes with his general revelation of his salvation, his need for repentance. But there is there is immediate transformation in this man. He is immediately obeying whatever Christ said to do, even though Jesus himself said, you're going to suffer for my sake. I mean, how many of you, when you came to faith in Christ, if somebody said, Will you believe upon Jesus today and repent of your sins? You'll have eternal life and you're going to suffer a whole lot. You want to do it? How many is going to say, yeah, that, that's me? No, that's what happens with Saul. And then, then you notice how incredibly quick he went from his conversion to disciple making. He's there many days, not a long time. And all of a sudden he now has disciples, people who are learning from him. And he's doing evangelism. He's preaching. He's risking his neck going into synagogues. I think that Paul's testimony that we read in Philippians 1.21 is very clear that this was the, the movement of his entire life after conversion. This is not Christian hyperbole. He really did mean what he said and he lived out what he confessed. To live as Christ. And it began at his conversion. Because that was his life's mission. His life's mission was to make much of Jesus. This man was consumed with Jesus. Are we? I mean, we call ourselves followers of Christ. But is Christ all in all to us? And as I look at my own life, I say, no. I want him to be. 
but I let things blind me to the reality of what I'm called to do. I let selfishness and the world and sin keep me from saying with Paul to live is Christ. And I don't want that. I want the kind of testimony the Apostle Paul had. You can see that he had a a life of abandonment for Christ here as he's locked up there in Rome. And what I find amazing about his confession there in Philippians 1.21 is, is not the fact that he said it, but the fact that he lived it. And people actually saw his witness, saw his life-transforming actions. And he abandoned everything, as I said, that was safe to him in order to testify to the power of Christ and the truth of the gospel. And he did that by even confronting things no one wanted to confront in Rome. And I think what's amazing to me is he knew that it would be costly to speak the truth to those who were in Rome, yet he did so with confidence and assurance that this was God's call on his life. You understand, when he preached at Rome, he went to a city full of pantheistic pagans, and he said something that they didn't want to hear. He said something that was contrary to all that they were taught. He told them there was only, really only one true and living God, and all men must bow to him alone. There is no other. There is only one. Look with me at Romans 1. Look what he says here as he writes this letter. 118. This is what he went and proclaimed. And if this is not the testimony of to live as Christ, I don't know what is, because this could have cost him dearly. And it did in many ways. It did in many ways. It still costs you dearly to say what he says here. He spoke the truth about Jesus and he spoke the truth about sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Well, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie or the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Well, Paul proclaimed the truth in light of what it's going to cost him. Paul proclaimed truth that no one wanted to hear because that was his commission. He did it with confidence, even though it would be sacrificial in some ways to his own life and existence. But he did this because he was a follower of Jesus. Jesus was Lord of his life, and he was commissioned to make disciples no matter what it would cost him physically. That was Paul's commission as a Christian, not just as an apostle. And that is our commission as Christians, no matter what our culture says. We are to continue proclaiming this message. And you know the message that he proclaimed there was not a popular message. It would not be easily received. It would take the Spirit of God to grant them eyes to see and ears to hear. But Paul proclaimed it with confidence because that's what his 
Lord and his master told him to do. The Lord said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You must proclaim it. That means you have to expose sin and you have to point to the one and true savior of men. And he did that. And I think in that way, Paul's life is like a, a divine illustration that should serve to encourage us today. We can do what he did. We can proclaim this message with confidence and with a selfless attitude about our own protection. We can recklessly follow Jesus as Lord and obey his calling on our lives because we're in his hands. Who gave you life? Who sustains your life? Who knows the end of your life? The Lord. And we can do what he says with confidence and we can do it even if it's going to cost us. So let's, let's honestly ask ourselves this question. As we look at this today, as professors of Christianity, as those who say we are followers of Jesus, let's ask, do our lives reflect that? Do our, do our lives reflect the kind of abandonment we see in Paul? Abandonment of self, abandonment of sin, abandonment of safety. Is obedience to Jesus worth the reckless abandonment of our lives? And this is, this is weighty. We say we love him, but if we love him, we will do what he says. If we're not doing what he says, do we love him? And he says, give your life up for my sake, because I gave my life up for your sake. Follow me. Obey me. And he is worthy of all that. When you think about the Apostle Paul's testimony, and, and you look at your life, and there are points in your life in which you could say, yes, I would do what Paul did. I, I, I want to do what Paul did. I want to recklessly abandon everything for Jesus' sake. I think that that is something all of us as Christians desire, but we fall short and we know it. We, we, we don't know what it looks like in this country anyway to recklessly really give our lives over to Jesus because it's too easy here. We have so much comfort, so much ease we don't know what it means to actually give our lives completely to Christ, no matter the cost. And could you imagine what it would look like in America now today if we did what those in other countries do every day? They willingly sacrifice time and, and effort and even sometimes their lives so that others can hear the gospel. But we won't go across the street. We won't talk to the teller at the bank. We won't pick up the scriptures and spend time discipling a weaker Christian. What would it look like if we recklessly abandoned our life for Christ's sake? And I'm fully aware that the word reckless sounds like a strong term, and it is. And I think it's an appropriate term. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines reckless as an action that is careless of consequences. (laughs) Church, listen, when we take Christ's calling seriously... It will look reckless by that definition to the world. But you have to remember, it is not a careless thing to give up your life to honor Christ. He gave you life for the purpose of bringing him praise and glory on earth. You are here right now and not in heaven because he chose to place you here to magnify his name on the earth. That's your only reason for existence. Are you doing that? If not, you are not doing what you were created to do. None of us do it as we ought and as we want. But we should certainly seek to do it as we see Paul did it. 
Paul was an apostle. That is special. That is rare. And we understand that. But before he was an apostle, he was a Christian. And, and as a Christian, we want to do what Paul did as a Christian. We want to honor the Lord who called us to salvation. No matter what it costs us, no matter what we lose along the way. And let me say this, you, you will lose nothing in this world that matters when you follow Jesus. You'll lose nothing in this world that matters. But what you may lose may actually be used to lead others to the greatest riches of all time, the gospel. You may give your life up for the sake of telling someone about Jesus, and you may die in the process. You may die to selfishness, die to self-protection. But you may see someone won to Christ. You may see someone given the treasures of heaven because of your reckless abandon. That was what was on the heart of the Apostle Paul and what he confessed in Philippians 1.21. In Paul's mind, Jesus' exaltation was worth the loss of his life. We all say that. Isn't that true? It, is is Jesus' praise worth the loss of your life? Yes! But will you lay it down for him? And lay it down in practical ways. Lay it down by laboring beside someone who needs your help, by setting aside your selfish ambitions, by setting aside your pride, by setting aside your fears of what other people think about you. If you want to get past your fears of what other people think about you, come up here and preach sometime, okay? It's a good way to kill all that. As Christians, I think that we, we want to say this. We want this to be the cry of our heart. We want to say that Jesus is worth the reckless abandon of my life, abandonment of my life, and I'm willing to actually do what it takes to see that happen. And I think sometimes we look at Paul's testimony and we, we automatically discount him as the standard or the, the example to follow, yet that's not what he says in the rest of his epistles. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Yet we sort of set him to the side, we shelf him because he's an apostle. That's an apostolic testimony. But let me, let me put that excuse to rest, okay? Because he's not the only one who gives this kind of testimony throughout history. There have been many men and women who have recklessly abandoned their lives for the sake of Christ, besides the Apostle Paul. And I want to show you one of those people. This is an average man outside of the New Testament time period. I want to show you what was at the, the very core of his being, what his very heart's cry was as he came to recognize that Jesus is Lord and worthy of his life. I want you to understand, when this man writes what we're going to read here, this is something that you and I should be able to write as well. The man I'm about to read from here, understand this, he spent his life laboring in a place that no one else was willing to go. He, he, he was going to a place where he would receive no worldly praise, he would he receive no accolades, he would receive nothing but labor and hardship and difficulty in this work. And for most of his time doing what he writes about here, he saw absolutely zero fruit from his work. But he continued on because his Lord called him to abandon his life for Christ's praise among the heathen, among the lost. This man's name is David Brainerd. 
And he served as a missionary to Native Americans in the 1700s. He was very young when he began this ministry. And he spent his young life laboring selflessly in many physical uh, ways that would be beyond what most of us would ever want to endure. And, and inside of danger from the people he was ministering to, they threatened his life. They dropped snakes into his tent to try to be rid of him. Not only that, he's out in the wilderness at that time in the 1700s, and he's out in the extreme climate, extreme cold. Snow would be up around his waist as he prayed for these Native Americans. And all the while he was there, from the time he left to go into this mission until the time Jesus took him home, he had tuberculosis. He he knew he was sick when he went in. He, he knew he would die in that field. And what did he do with his latter part of his life? He spent it for Jesus' sake. And he was only 29 years old when he died. It was a very short life, a very small life on the timeline of history. And this is what I want to read to you from his missionary journal today so that you could think through this personally and think, can I say these things? Am I willing to say these things? And I know as I look at this, I, I want to say these things. I want this to be the cry of my heart. He says, here am I. Send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service and to promote thy kingdom. And the next entry writes, he writes this. This morning about nine, I withdrew to the woods for prayer. I was in such anguish that when I arose from my knees, I felt extremely weak and overcome. Oh, I cared not how or where I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. Oh, that I could spend every moment of my life to God's glory. Wow, do we pray like that? Do we, do we write things like that? Do we think like that? Why not? I know why I don't. I know why I should. This message is mostly for me. But, but I want you to understand from the world's perspective, as they looked at Brainerd's life and this testimony in this journal, they would say, that young man wasted his life. 29 years, the latter part spent suffering and no fruit. He lived a wasted life. But I want you to know that his life was not wasted. Because there were Native Americans that were converted. Not in large numbers, but many toward the very end of his life, came to faith in Christ. And, and beyond that, what we didn't know at the time and what they didn't see at the time was Brainerd became a catalyst to inspire scores of missionaries that would follow him in history all the way up to today. They would read his journal entries and they would be so moved by what they read about a man who recklessly abandoned his life for Christ in the wilderness that they would leave everything behind and follow Jesus where he called them. 
Brainerd had no idea that that small life would make such a deep impact for Christ. He felt like a failure. You read his entries and he sounds depressed. He's always writing about how I failed at this and I failed at that. But isn't it amazing how God can take what we think is a failure if we recklessly abandon everything for his sake and then use it to magnify the glory and grace of Christ? That's what happened as he influenced many missionaries from this time forward. One of those missionaries he, he influenced was a man named David Sitton who wrote the book I mentioned earlier. And he served as a missionary to headhunters in New Guinea. And, and after serving there as a missionary to headhunters for many years, someone came to, to David Sitton and asked him if, if that work was really, really worth the risk that it could have cost him. I mean, he could have died. He could have been eaten. He could have been killed by different things there, not only the people, but the environment itself. And they asked him, is it really worth it? I mean, these are a bunch of pagans. These are a bunch of heathen. These are a bunch of head-hunting cannibals. Why are you doing this? You may never see anything happen here. And here was his answer. I conclude that losing my life for the gospel is literally impossible because my years on this earth are worth far less than the value of the eternal gospel. Risk assumes the possibility of loss and is always determined by the value of the mission. The gospel is so valuable that no risk is unreasonable. Life is gained by laying it down for the gospel. If I live, I win and get to keep on preaching Christ. But if I die, I win bigger by going directly to be with Christ and to get to take a few tribes with me. Think about it. If I get to, not have to, lay down my life in some remote jungle swamp, But God uses my death as an object lesson to turn their eyes to Christ and his name and the gospel gets established among the unreached people group somewhere. That isn't a bad risk for me. I didn't lose. I win. It was the bargain of a lifetime because Jesus is worth a lot more than my little life. (laughs) I need reminders like this. I need these testimonies. You do, too. I know you do. I need these reminders because there are times in my ministry that I feel overwhelmed by the work. Sometimes the ministry is tedious. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes you just want to pull your hair out. And sometimes you begin to grow cold because of it. Sometimes you grow indifferent to the problems around you. And and you lose your first love. When I read these testimonies, it revives that. Because in these testimonies, what do I see? I see men with their eyes fixed on Jesus. Not on their own life, but on Christ. Men like the Apostle Paul, who who recklessly abandoned everything to honor their Savior and their Lord. To honor Him as rescued ambassadors. And I think that's, that's something that we would all want to do as Christians. I think that as we give our lives to Christ and his call, I think that we lose nothing. We gain the greatest treasure in life and eternity when we do this. I think that's why Paul did what he did in his ministry. You know, you realize what he did. He, he gave up his entire life. His, his, his momentum in life would have been to take him far and beyond most in Judaism, into prosperity and comfort 
and safety. When Jesus saves him and reveals the fact that he is his Lord and his Savior, all he wants to do from that point on is obey him, follow him by edifying the saints, by evangelizing the lost, even if it wore him to a nub, and even if it cost him his life, which it did. He was willing to do that, even if it would take him to the outskirts of Rome one morning when a Roman soldier would come to him with a sword in hand and take off his head for preaching Jesus. He was willing to do it. Is, is Jesus is Jesus worth that in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives? If you look at his divine testimony, Paul's divine testimony here, I think we should ask that. What are we willing to recklessly abandon in order to exalt Jesus as Lord and fulfill his calling on our lives today? Should Paul be the exception? Should David Sitton be the exception? Should David Brainerd be the exception? No, they're the, the standard. That's what it looks like when the love of Christ is pumping through your veins. And that's what I want it to look like in my life. You have to ask yourself, are you willing to give up the things that no one in our culture is willing to give up? Are you willing to abandon the pride of your position in life? Are you willing to abandon your comfort, your personal comfort? Nobody, nobody in America likes to give up personal comfort. That is our God. Self-exaltation. Are you willing to put that to death if it would mean honoring Jesus and serving others? Are you willing to abandon praise, the praise of men, to go work in a place where no one's going to see what you're doing but Jesus? Are you willing to abandon your friends and your family for the sake of reaching people who have no friends and no family? Are you willing to abandon prosperity, prestige, praise from academia? Are you willing to do whatever it takes, even lay down your life to exalt your Savior? Because one day you're going to spend eternity with Him and you want to honor Him now because of that great gift, that treasure. I think we have to ask that as a heart-piercing question today. We have to ask this. Can we honestly say with Paul to live is Christ? I think that we all want to say that. We all want to say yes and amen. We all want to say that is exactly what we want to do. But we know that that goes against our our sinful and self-preserving inclinations. It goes against our culture. It goes against our flesh. And we struggle with it. So how do we overcome that struggle? How do we overcome the power that works in our flesh, unredeemed flesh, and the culture around us? How do we overcome the power of self-love and self-protection? Well, I, I personally would have no answer for that apart from Scripture. I have to look there. So do you. So how did Paul overcome this? How did he overcome this love of self and giving his life up to, to do whatever it takes to honor Christ? How did, he, how did he even come to the point of willing to lay down his life for the sake of Christ? What motivated him to recklessly abandon his life? Was it legalistic rules? No. Was it as a result of reading lots of theology books and becoming really smart? No. I think it's much simpler, much more beautiful than that. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I think this 
is how he overcame the power of self-love and self-protection. He got his eyes off of himself and fixed on Christ. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How did he overcome love of self and give his life up as a reckless sacrifice for Christ? Well, he focused his eyes on Jesus and what he did for him. I believe Paul abandoned his life by focusing his mind, his heart, his attention on the Lord Jesus Christ, reckless abandonment of his own life for our sake. That's what he's writing about in Philippians. Go back there with me. Philippians 2. What follows the confession in 121 is this in 2, 4 through 11. This is why I think that he did what he did. This is why he was able to overcome these obstacles. His mind was fixed on the one who recklessly gave up everything to redeem him. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It's yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted, but made himself nothing. He abandoned himself, taking the form of a slave being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You want to put love of self to death? You want to put self-protection to death? And you want to have a life of reckless abandonment for Christ? Look at his reckless abandonment for you. Look at what he gave up to rescue you. If that doesn't move you to follow Jesus and cry out to live as Christ, I don't know what will. This life is so short. I buried a good friend of mine a few weeks ago. He was 62 years old and the older I get, the younger that sounds. And, and I'm thinking, that's only 62 years on this planet. I've got 48 under me. And I'm thinking, how much of it's wasted? And how much of it is God going to use in the future? I want him to use it all. I want to recklessly abandon my life for his sake. And church, when we, when we focus on Jesus' reckless abandonment of his life for our sake, as the song we sang said, the cares of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That, that, that helps me to think through this process. It helps me to think about focusing on Jesus when I feel my first love growing cold and I feel weary in my duties. And I know why that happens. And you know why it happens in your life. You're, you're not fixing your mind on the glory and grace of Christ. You've let the dust of the world's comfort keep your eyes from being fixed on Christ. But when our eyes are fixed back on Him, on His glory, We'll begin to do things differently. We'll begin to live differently as Christians. We'll begin to see losing our life for the sake of exalting Christ. We'll see that as a gain, not a loss. Even if we have to suffer for it, as Paul did. Paul endured sufferings because he found an eternal treasure in Christ. 
because his eyes were fixed on Christ. That's all he wanted. That's all he longed for. That's all he lived for. His, his mind was fixed on the goal. Even though the world was trying to distract him with the dust of comfort, he was focused on Christ and kept moving forward. When our eyes are fixed on Christ, we'll be able to do that too. We'll be able to see through the dust of this world's comfort and we'll, we'll stop seeing comfort as our greatest treasure and we'll start seeing the treasure of Christ being praised as our greatest comfort. That's what will happen. There'll be a transformation. You won't live for comfort. You'll live for your treasure, which is already secured in heaven and it secures you for eternity. That's how I really believe that for myself and for you, that you will reignite that first love. You'll rekindle that first love. You'll do it by focusing on what Christ did to show you his love. If you think about what he did to love you and save you, then it should not be a problem for you to submit to how he commands you. You should want to do that. You should want to give him praise and honor, and you should want to do it with joy. Look with me at Philippians 1.20. I think if you focus your eyes on Christ's sacrifice and his calling on your life as a result of his sacrifice, I think you'll be moved and motivated to do what the Apostle Paul did and what he says here. I think this will move you to want to persevere with joy in this reckless abandonment of your life. Philippians 1.20 As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened by anything by your your opponents. That is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Then notice this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now keep in mind all that he just wrote there. He's saying, I I don't know what to do. I want to die and just go to heaven. That's what I want. I want to be with Jesus. But if I'm going to stay, I want to do it with joy. I want to do it excited about the fact that God's going to use my life, my little life, to encourage others. I want to pursue this joyfully as I abandon myself for Christ's sake. And, And through the abandonment of your life for Christ's sake, what happens is something great, as we see in Paul's life. The world begins to see the worthiness of Christ's life and his love through your joyful service. You think about that. Through your joy and your pursuit of Christ, no matter what it costs you, people begin to actually believe your testimony that you say about Jesus. They begin to see he must be worth something. This man, this woman is giving up everything to talk to me, to share this with me, to serve me. And I think all of us would agree that Jesus is worth that. At least here on Sunday morning, 
But what's it going to look like on Monday? I mean, we would all confess here today that Jesus is worth 10 million lifetimes of reckless abandonment. But are we really willing to live that out with one lifetime? Are we truly willing to abandon our lives to exalt Christ's life in our parenting, in our marriages, in our church, in our service to other Christians, or even in the mission field that God may call you into? Are you really willing to lay down your life joyfully? And if, if that's the case, and I pray that's the case with all of us here today, if that's the case, then you can rejoice because that's a testimony of the evidence of Christ's love and his heart beating in yours, driving your thoughts, driving your actions. But let me say this. If you hear this and you hear about reckless abandonment to, to exalt Jesus, to make much of Jesus, and it just means nothing to you this morning, it also testifies that the heartbeat of Christ may not be beating in you at all. And you need to repent of your sins and your lack of honor for Christ and turn in faith to him and confess that you need his grace to give you a new heart. We were created for this purpose, to recklessly abandon our lives, to make much of the life that Christ has given us. That's what our lives are to be about. And let's pray that the Spirit of God will help us do that this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we pray this morning that you would make us fix our eyes upon the glorious work of Christ, the Christ who saved us, the, the master who laid down his life for the servants, the, the one who became a servant so that we could be elevated to the status of sons. We thank you for him. We pray that you would help us to recognize his greatness and his grace we pray that you would make us aware of that in such a way that our lives would be transformed as a result, that we would recklessly abandon all of our loves and passions in this world for the sake of magnifying Jesus. We pray that you would help us do that with joy this morning because you are our greatest treasure. And we want to share that treasure with others. We pray that you would make us, make us able and willing to say with the Apostle Paul, to live as Christ. I pray in Christ's name.